Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, You'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Ed Lattimore today. Today, you're going to learn about the four lives that Ed Lattimore has lived and the deep wisdom that he learned in each experience. Of course, uh, Ed grew up in the projects in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and grew up in a very challenging set of circumstances. And instead of being a victim of those circumstances, he showed us how the victor on the way to victory was able to uncover so much really deep wisdom and um, continue to do so in his life today. And and you're going to hear all about his story, but I want to encourage you to listen for what is it about his story that relates to yours and what lessons have you learned on your path? What lessons have you learned that have helped shape who you are today? You're going to learn about practical approach to stoicism and how you can apply that in your business. You're going to learn how to apply that in your negotiating. You're going to learn how to apply that in the development of your team or the investment decisions that you're making, as well as, of course, in your life. Today's episode is so good. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion and personal development for high performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits and multifaceted experience expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And I want to encourage you if it's your first time listening, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. You are important to us. If it's your 250th time here, welcome back. And uh, we're here to pour into your cup in a big way today. So buckle up. Uh, I want to encourage you to pay the fee, whether it's your first time or 250th time or any time in between, pay the fee. The fee is just to pay it forward and share this episode with a friend or colleague, spouse, business associate, somebody in your network. Share this episode. All you have to do is grab that link, send it a text message, email, social media, whatever you need to do to pay that fee. The only way that we can continue to grow is if we earn the value of your introductions and uh, we just ask from the bottom of my heart that uh, that you go ahead and do that because, um, yeah, it's been very valuable for us. And we, we're just so thankful for that. We're so thankful for your testimonials. And I want to ask you as well, if you haven't done so already, please give us a rating, a review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. And um, I read every single review. So thank you for that in advance. If you have already done that, thank you as well. And with all that said, I want to dive in and I want to introduce you to Ed Lattimore. Very simply, he's a best-selling author, former professional heavyweight boxer, and a competitive chess player. His writing focuses on self-improvement and a practical approach to Stoic philosophy. You're going to hear that today and so much more. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Ed Lattimore. Ed Lattimore, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you doing? 
I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm real happy that you you're taking time out and having me on. Man, you know, it's funny before we started recording, uh, you're asking me about, you know, some recording equipment and things like that. And it just automatically shows me the humility, right? I mean, you've obviously developed a lot of great things in your life. You're continuing to expand not only your business, but your writing career. But that just tells me immediately. It's like, hey, there's always room for improvement. There's always room to, to learn from someone else. You and I hadn't met each other yet, but I, I just appreciated that. Is there anything that you would add to that? You know, you can't you can't learn everything. You probably, you know, if, if I spent the rest of my day just the rest of my days, just studying, reading, studying, reading. I, I wouldn't touch probably even a tenth of a percent of the knowledge on this planet. And so when you recognize that, then it's very easy to have an open mind about everything and know that you can learn from other people. And it, it doesn't matter how far along they are, what they're doing, or how much of an expert you think you are, you can learn something from someone, you know, like, like you were saying, the constant improvement, uh, the, the website now has got a probably, I think we just did a count 165 articles written over 10 years, uh, plus, you know, some self-published books and guides on growing social media via the written word text. And I still, you know, spent a penny this month or this year so far uh, in a writing class that I'm learning to continue to improve. And when I'm done with that, I'll go on to another writing class because that's what I've decided I want to be good at. And so I have to continue to sharpen the sword. I can't ever think that I know too much. I can't ever think I'm too good. And there's always something to learn. I was telling you as well that I was enthralled when I was reading your website and I was enthralled by not only you telling your story, but enthralled with the way that you communicate. And so that tells me a lot about you as well is that you're still willing to engage in further education and furthering the way that you write because man you're you are a freaking prolific writer and so anybody who wants to learn how to write i mean definitely observe what ed is doing um, but ed with that said man i want to dive into your story because you've said that you have lived four lives and to me first of all it's it's like i said it's an enthralling way of engaging with your story but it is also very instructive in the different sets of experiences that you've had and so you've also mentioned that you've learned something along the way and really kind of captured those learnings into tremendous wisdom. So I would love if we could just kind of go back to that, maybe that first life and take us <laughs> along that path. Do you mind uh, going through that? Oh, not at all, man. So the first life is where I was born and how I was born and what I went through. I was born into the public housing projects of Pittsburgh, PA, typical at-risk youth with all the at-risk youth markers being raised by a single mother, being very poor, at least, you know, by American standards and and living in this area. You know, if you've ever been to the public housing projects, the ghetto, the hood, whatever they call it, uh, subsidized housing, I'm just thinking of different terms for it. There's a lot of there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of drugs around, a lot of things that they force you to grow up fast. And that's really a shame that it's like that. But when you're out in it, you know, that's like the dangerous place. You're supposed to think, oh, you can go home or school is safe place. Wasn't like that for me there either. School was was just the same people I went to school with until I was 14 and we get to that. 
And at home, there was abuse and, and craziness there as well. So I'm like, what, what do I do? How do I cope with this? And it was, it was during that time period that I figured out uh, you can do a lot. You can go far if, if people like you, <laughs> you know, it's, and you, you, you have to become likable the right way. Right. I think when people I think when people try to take advantage of this well-known idea, because I think people get that that when when people like you, your life is a little easier, mm-hmm. but they go about it the wrong way. The way I went about it was was I never tried to fit in, but I never tried to stand out. I was simply myself. And this worked really well for school and it worked really well for um, my neighborhood. It didn't work so well at home because, you know, your mother knows you and all that. But like it it really it, it gave me a place and a way to look forward to things around me. And it gave me a way to relate to that to that uh, trying to think of a good word for it. It's not like swearing uh, that cesspool. It gave me a really good way to, to relate and deal with that without being consumed by it. Because you don't want to, that's another danger of becoming too likable, is that the element thinks you're one of them. I had a good friend I just connected with in my adulthood when we were kids, a very similar background, probably things a little worse. And he went on to become one of the, one of the more influential drug dealers in the city. And the only reason why he, he didn't get locked down for multiple years, because when they, when they finally moved on his house, after they had been, you know, surveilling and tracking and getting the routes, they just, they got impatient and moved when he was in the middle of a re-up. And if you don't know what a re-up is, they got to, you know, go get more drugs to sell or break down in, in the product. So there was no money and there was no drugs at the house that they raided on. So we only ended up getting two years when he was easily looking at, easy looking at 15 to 20. He now is cleaned up and together and is completely past that life. The irony is that he's now a a substance abuse counselor. And I think that's probably a very good job for somebody like that, uh, knowing how it works. But he, he was liked and wanted to be liked, but he, he chased it. So the, so the environment, the only way you can, ascend to a position of respect because like being liked and being respected are very similar. And if you don't, if you aren't used to either, or you don't have role models, it's very difficult to tell the difference. Okay. And he was chasing being liked, but it ultimately turned into being respected. And the only way you can do that is to, is to move up the hierarchy uh, within the group you're trying to be liked by, (laughs) you know, and growing up, we didn't have many groups to be liked by that would not lead to a position where you end up, you know, probably involved in a life of crime. So I'm really fortunate that that I I got it. You know, I, I didn't articulate it the way I'm articulating it now, but I got it. I got, I knew that I didn't want to go down that road. That road doesn't lead anywhere. But being like, will kept me from probably going down another road where I'm fighting, dealing with stuff. And, and the way fights work in these places, look, man, people end up getting hospitalized. I personally don't know anyone that was killed during a fight, but I, I've heard of it. And these are kids fighting. These aren't grown men or anything like that. So it's just a, it's a miserable, 
uh, place. But you you make it through, and and really, I'm grateful for it in the weirdest way possible, because it's given me a way to relate to people, and it's given me a way to uh, sense the world. You know, the, you know, they they I, I was reading about how kids who grew up in abusive households are like are like empathic. I will never describe myself that way. What I am is I'm very good at reading people and knowing what's coming, how to avoid it. And because, you know, perhaps I was gifted with a little more verbal acumen than the average person, uh, I know how to, to talk down and, and avert a situation. But I'd never describe myself as empathic. Perhaps those, those traits together, someone else would. But you end up with a lot of things a lot of skills, a lot of abilities that you can't learn or that you can't be taught. You can only learn, you know, mm-hmm. and then you, you you learn them the hard way and you get through it. But but that was the first life. The first life was, you know, I actually don't even have any friends anymore from that from there, except for the guy I reconnected with, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but but now we're in a we're, we're adults now. We were we're adults with our lives and our stories, and we can look and go. Oh, we went through that. Now we're we're better and different because a lot of people don't make it out. It's interesting that um, that pressure sort of life growing up in the projects led you to that lesson about being likable, and that was the the path that you took. I'm sure there was a, a different path of being the most aggressive, being the biggest alpha. Um, but oh, I love, for sure. <laughs> if you, actually, I want to hear your thoughts on that, but I, I want to expand upon your, the first lesson was never underestimate the power of being likable and controlling your emotions. So oh, that's, something big, about that. <laughs> that's the big one right there. Because you, you never know. You, you, you never know how far somebody else is willing to go. Okay. And, and every person has to, or at least should, know what they're willing to do. All right. And once you know what you're willing to do, then you can then you can temper your reactions to the environment around you accordingly. For example, if I know I'm not interested or willing to to maim someone, like like to the point where they're gonna have to be hospitalized. I should not pick up a brick during a fight, all right? Now, if I know that somebody I have a problem with is willing to go that far and I'm not, I need to be very careful about the conversations I have with that person because they're willing to go to a darker place than me. And you cannot you, you cannot win fights or any battle, if your adversary is willing to do more or do more damage than you or has less honor, forget what the movies tell you about the honorable good guy winning. Doesn't work like that in real life. If if guys are willing to jump you, bring bricks, bring bring bats, or even firearms, uh, and you're not for for whatever reason, well, like my reason, I don't know why I was that way, but I just knew I wasn't going to go there. Uh, I had to make sure that every interaction I had with somebody was an interaction of respect because all it takes is somebody thinking you disrespect them for it to get out of hand very quickly, you know? And so I never, you, you never let them see your buttons either. Right. But it, that's what I heard. Right. But buddy of mine uh, who went to prison said, that's what they call it. You never let them see your buttons, which is you never let people know what irks you. If it irks you, you don't show that. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Because if they know what irks you, then they know that now they have control over you. That's another form of controlling your emotions, not showing how you're affected by something. You keep them moving, all right? And how you interact with people. If somebody makes you mad, yeah, you could you could do something crazy or say something crazy, but you got to consider the repercussions of those actions. You never know who knows who or who's willing to go to what distance. So you always are keeping that in the back of your mind. At least that's how I moved and that's how I thought. And, and what that does for the rest of your life, even now to this day, uh, I always treat everyone with manners. I, I, I am a firm believer that good manners never make a situation worse. There is no, uh, calling somebody sir has never, you know, led to a negative altercation for me. Unless it's call, a ma'am, I would imagine, right? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, it, it, it never, uh, treating people well never makes things go wrong. And, and a lot of times it can salvage a bad situation, just being cool. I talk about this in an article about, you know, five lessons I, I learned growing up in the projects. And it's amazing what just saying my bad can do. If it looks like things are about to go crazy, just saying my bad, it, it, it sounds insignificant, but think about what that does. Mm-hmm. You're acknowledging that you did something wrong. And a lot of times people... You, you realistically, in a lot of cases, cannot fix the problem. But if you acknowledge that there is one, they feel heard. They don't feel like you're dismissing them, okay? Mm-hmm. And that that calms people. That's what I found, okay? Also, what it's doing is that it's, an, it's, it's, the most <laughs> it's the most masculine apology you can give, right? Uh, well, what you're saying is that, you know, this happened, it's my fault, and I'm admitting it to you. Mm -hmm. That's as good as saying I'm sorry, because what people want to hear is that you're taking responsibility, you know? It implies I'm sorry, I would think. Yeah, and it implies you you recognize something's wrong, and you you are the cause of it. Mm -hmm. And and here's here's a great way to, like, use this in conflict resolution, this idea. Uh, if you get your ego out the way and you can just take responsibility for a situation, even though you may be the one that was wrong first, you're the reactor, not the initiator, then you can you can keep a lot of potentially bad situations from exploding and, and keep yourself out of situations where you got to make hard choices like, uh, you know, what do they say? Better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. Right. But imagine having to make that choice. Yeah, man. It, you know what? This makes me think of, I mean, as goofy and as corny as it sounds in a correlation, I think of like negotiating deals in real estate. I mean, because you can stoop to the level of sort of the, you know, the street fighter, because there are street fighters out there who are negotiating deals who want to pull you in the mud. And, you know, it's like a race to the bottom. And, you know, whoever can slash and burn the other first is the one who wins. And, you know, it's like controlling your emotions in that type of circumstance. I, I'm obviously setting the stage can be extremely valuable. And, you know, I think about the street smarts that you just shared. It's like, man, those that that's wis that's wisdom that you can apply in a business sense, like immediately. And so I, I just appreciate that background. But thinking about as you continue on your journey and your path and like your your story, talk to me about the second life, man. Uh, you know, 
I I had a, a really great piece of insight. They're, they're, I always talk about, you know, like people ask me, well, what's different about you? Why did you turn out this way? But most people don't, you know, and and I always give luck credit, the credit it deserves, because whatever combination of, of DNA that came together uh, gave me a certain temperament, foresight, and really just overall self-awareness. And so I remember when I was when I was like 13 and I was about to go into high school, I had to pick the high school I was going to. And I knew that I didn't want to go to the high school that was assigned to where I would feed into. I mean, that that place is still a mess. Somebody just got shot there uh, last month and it was a big deal. Wow. Right, and I was like, I don't want to go there. So I, I told my mom, I said, yo, we're going to go down and I'll apply. I told my mom, not the other way around. I said, we're going to go apply to go to the school across town. And when I got across town, that that changed my life. Um, I have really good friends to this day now at this point that I've known longer than I haven't because of that choice. And I've been exposed to so many things because of that choice. And this is where this, this life kicks off is I am. I am surrounded by people. Uh, for the first time in my life, I have absolutely nothing in common with. I I realized that there are really two parent households. Those exist, or both live in the same house. You know, I personally have to catch a bus, a, a public public bus. They give you bus passes, or they gave you bus passes. I don't know if they still do. I had to take a bus across town. Um, one to downtown and to the other side of town to get to this high school. So that meant I had to be out the house, but like I think I left at like 5.30, man. It was a, it was a serious... Uh, <laughs> it was like 5.36, maybe the latest I could get, get to school on time. But like, going there opened my eyes, man. And I had to learn. I, I, I tell my sister this all the time. She went to a different school and we're at kind of different places in life. But I tell her all the time, I think one of the big differences is that I, I got socialized differently, man. Uh, kind of like how you take your puppy when he when he when he's young and you take him around the dogs so he's right. not so he's not crazy around the dogs. And I didn't spend for so so I I started at 14 and for the rest of my life really spending time around people who weren't from the hood. <laughs> you know, people who were like middle class or like lower upper middle class cuz cuz I went to a great high school. And that high school brought in people they decided to not send their kids to two other pretty good private schools around to go to that school. That's what I ended up going. And and I I just learned being around these people um, who are very different than me, and I had to, I had to learn to right? You know, um, your your background and who you are is it's not it's not going to make a big difference, right? In in the grand scheme of things, you know, uh, or I like to say, you know, like like no one cares what happened to you. You know, you just you still got to keep it moving. You still have to get things together. You still have to learn. And if you get that, if you if you don't think that the world should have any sympathy for you and what you've gone through, you can make a lot of of strides and inroads and move into a lot of different places with relative ease. Uh, 
But let me tell you, man, I still I still have like memories. And this is weird because now I've been out of been out of high school way more than half of my life at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is it's interesting where I, I still remember like feeling awkward and feeling out of place. But, you know, no one cared. I had to figure that out on my own. And that that's the the, the big lesson from there is that, that no one no one cares, you know. You you still have to make these things happen. You still have to go and do um what's the best way to put this? You still have to show up because no one's gonna care uh, regardless. Yeah and just to summarize it's no one cares what happened to you or what you've been through no one is coming to save you. And I feel like the distinction there is like, instead of, you know, this natural tendency, I'm sure in your sort of background and upbringing is, hey, you know what, I'm a victim, man, I didn't choose to, I didn't choose to be born in this circumstance. Like what, you know, what, what did I do to deserve this, right? And I'm sure that many people feel that way. And so this the shift was, hey, you know what, I'm going to make a choice. And you mentioned you had a little bit of foresight to say, hey, mom, this is where we're going. Like we're applying here. And so you learned through that action that it was instead of being a victim, it was like, we have the choice to, instead of saying, look, I'm the victim, but no, you know what? I'm not the victim. I I'm going to, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to proceed forward. Would you agree? Not yet. Oh yeah. Not only that. I mean, like, Hey, here's something, here's something you learn, right? Uh, when you when you get to a place where like people's parents work instead and have jobs and things like that, um, I once I identified my friend group, you know, and who I was going to be around, it still costs a little money to to do things and have a social life. So let me tell you, in high school, right, this is that whole theme of no one's coming to save you, and you you start digging, you know, you as I like to say, you get it out the mud, like you get it or get it out the dirt for yourself. I had a job and was still playing football and playing sports. And I always had, but I always had a job because, because it was two things. One, it was a general survival. I needed to bring in money to take care of myself. But I also, I hated being at home. Like, like so much. I spent every day. I did not go directly home. I either was in a sport or at a job where I hung out with my friends and, and I was so fortunate I still write these people today randomly when I think about it to remind the, the, the parents of my friends, like, you know, I'm really grateful that you guys took me on as like your own mm-hmm. and, and and would drive me home. Right. I, I'm, I'm terrified to drive to my own neighborhood nowadays sometimes. <laughs> so for them to drive me home repeatedly uh, at night, because it was always at night, really, really shows, man, I, I really ended up, grateful with some special people, but I still had to, you know, you still got to do something. You can't uh, like, imagine, I think about the people who want someone to rescue them want someone to take pity, want someone to save them. What I found is that people are far more likely to help you if you look like you're helping yourself. Mm. The, 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 the best way to get someone to come behind your cause and and quote unquote take pity on you is to look like you're not waiting for anything to come after you. It's like they say, you know, you can't st- you can't keep it from the people who want it and the people who don't want it, you can't give it to them. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. You know what it makes me think of? Um, and again, I hate to bring this back to our real estate context, but I think about folks that say, well, you know what? 
I don't have money. I don't come a family come from a family with money. How am I going to invest in real estate? You know, I can't afford that. I mean, I can't do commercial real estate. I can't buy that type of stuff. I can't, you know, it's great. It'd be awesome to create cash flow and personal freedom and, you know, a lifestyle of fulfillment and all this kind of stuff and design my life. But you know what? I just don't come from that world. So it's just not possible for me. And so that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, you know, I don't have that right now, but I see that other people have made that shift and that they've made that leap and they've asked themselves more sort of possibility latent questions like how can I or how might I be able to step into that world? And so instead of saying, you know what? somebody's going to come and save me or, or someone should save me. I'm going to save myself. And then along that path, other people are going to come and lift you up as well. Right. It's not like you just did all that by yourself. Exactly. You, you start figuring out ways to make it happen. Mm -hmm. well, like, like always, 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 man. And, and the more you figure out funny, how funny, how like the universe seems to rally behind you. There's a story I always tell people about this very point at the beginning of my boxing career. This is right when I made a major like leap where I'm like, okay, I can really do this. I got some ability. It was when I won the state title in 2011 to go on to nationals and for nationals. I got recruited by this group out in LA to come out and train. And it was a great I mean, really great experience once and in, in not even this lifetime, but like that program doesn't exist now and nothing like it existed before. Really a combination of timing, but also ability. But let me tell you something. Uh, January 2011, I had lost this kid locally for the second time. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm not getting better. I'm not improving. And I didn't feel like the gym I was in was was helping me either, right? And maybe it was stubbornness, but I, I just felt stuck. But I was just going to continue training and trying. And then the guy started training at my gym, the same guy that I uh, lost to. And that was the final straw for me. So I found a local coach. I had no idea. I mean, I knew kind of who he was, right? Because he was he had done great. He had had a world champion and everything. Here was the problem. <laughs> the problem was that Tom Yankello's gym was about 25 miles away. And to get to that gym, I needed a car. So I went and I went and bought a car. And I only had $400, so I got a $400 car. And hmm. if you ever bought a $400 car, I don't know if you have, but you get exactly what you expect on a $400 <laughs> car. The the horn didn't work, seat belts didn't work, AC didn't work. So it was cold and in the and, and cold in the winter, hot in the summer, miserable. I would have to bring my gear in uh so it didn't freeze at night because of the wow. sweat. It was a really bad deal. And then add to that, my license suspended, the car can't pass inspection. So, so I can't and I can't afford insurance even if it could. So I'm driving a real, like, if I, I'm driving a death trap, and if I get pulled over, I'm going to jail. I'm directly to jail. I'm not passing, go. I'm not collecting $200. I'm going <laughs> right to jail, all right? So I develop these ways to drive and navigate. And I go train with Tom. And because of that training, when I fought the kid again in April 2011, I knocked him out in the second round. And then I go on to win the state title. Then I go on 
to California. Then I go on to the Nationals, and at the Nationals, I draw Dominic Brazil in the first round. Dominic Brazil went on to represent us in the Olympics at heavyweight that year in London, 2012, and is a two-time title challenger. Uh, You know, I ended up fighting Charles Martin twice as an amateur who was the IBF, ended up becoming IBF champ, and and I ended up with a paid gig as an amateur, uh, and paid well, too, when they they recovered my apartment, plus, plus a pretty good stipend, and that's all happened. Because I, I looked at my situation initially where I lost to this guy twice. He was coming to my gym and I didn't feel like I was getting better. And I said, we're going to do what we got to do because I'm not giving up on boxing. And, you know, it, now, now I'll, I tell that story and then at the copy at the end is all it took was getting pulled over one time and that was going to be it. But I also made sure that didn't happen. I, you know, I drove at the speed limit. I was I developed a little. Uh, a little system. I look back and see if there was any, even any, any cow cars with two or three cars behind me, so I could pull over and act like I was getting some gas or something if they got too close and you know ran the plates randomly as they tend to do. But it was it was a calculated risk. It was a bet on myself, and most importantly, it was not waiting for things to get better. It was taking matters yes. into my own hands. And, and and that theme has come up in my life so many times from like when I enlisted in the army during the middle of my, my pro career so I could have money to go to school uh, to, to, to getting sober. All of these t- times I'm thinking like uh, no one's going to care what happened. No one's coming to save me. I got to take, take matters into my own hands. And so that gives you an incredible faith and how the world is going to turn out for you because you aren't waiting for the world to happen. You're creating. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line. 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, my friend Damian Lupo just informed me that checkbook IRAs have been made illegal by the U.S. tax court. That means if you have a checkbook IRA, your holdings are now disqualified. That means taxes and penalties of up to 50% or more. Don't panic. Damien and the EQRP company can fix this. Lucky for you, those IRAs can be converted into EQRPs. Plus, you can do this retroactive to the last year, getting tax deductions and reducing your taxable income from last year. Want to invest your 401k or IRA in real estate, Bitcoin, gold, or even your own business? You can. Whether you're a full-time investor, retired, a dentist with dozens of employees, if you're listening, you qualify. The EQRP works and is your secret weapon. And now it's retroactive. 
they have your solution. By the way, if you got bad advice and use an IRA for an apartment syndication, you are sitting on a UBIT time bomb. But don't worry, there's a solution, the EQRP. The EQRP company is ready to help you get control of your money, kill UBIT, and help you pay way less taxes. Want to learn more about this strategy? Simply text the word ELEVATE to 307-213-3475 for Damien's brand new 2022 EQRP special report. Paying tax or letting Wall Street suck you dry is dumb. Your first step is freeing your retirement money by sending a text to 307-213-3475 with the word elevate. It's amazing the possibilities that start to unfold when you have the perspective of, hey, it's never a matter of resources, but it's always a matter of resourcefulness. How much do you want it? How how much commitment are you willing to show? How defiantly committed are you to that outcome? And, you know, that's a great example. It's like, well, you know, the creativity and the sort of fortuitousness to say, all right, well, I got $400. <laughs> I can get a car <laughs> and I can drive the back roads and I can drive as slow as possible and all these different things. And that took you further along your path. I just think that's a great example. But talk to me about life number three, because this, is, a, this is another one that's powerful. Life number three, man. Um, so, so. We, we make a bit of a jump, right? Because if, if you read this and I could attach like ages to each life, it would be like zero to 14, 14 to 18. And then the next life is like 28 to now or, or, or well, 28-ish, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what happens between uh, 14, well, really 18 to 28, that 10-year period? And that really has this, that I got to tell that story because it sets the tone for everything else. Otherwise, uh, life and lesson number three means nothing. So between 18 to 28, I'm like, you know, I tried to do the college thing the first time and I, I wasn't ready at all. I mean, I, you, you want to talk crazy. I remember a guy saying to me, he goes, yo, you like one of the smartest guys on the football team that I talked to. How do you have the lowest GPA on the team? Hmm. And I was like, and it's not, it's not like I was an idiot. I just, I got seduced by girls in college and, and beer, man. Like that's, that, that is what happened. And I have no other <laughs> explanation for it. <laughs> uh, so, so I dropped out and moved home and but I was dating this girl for a while and, and I'm, I'm being, super bitter on school and college. And I remember I was telling everybody about how stupid it was to go to college. Now, uh, I still hold this idea, by the way. I still think for most people, college is not a good idea. Uh, the difference now is that I, I have a physics degree, so no one can accuse me of sour graping it. I, I wouldn't pay my dues in the system and, and in a really hard way, too. It's not like I just kind of closed it through. But, but when I was doing this, I didn't have any of that. And one of the people I would talk to about this, if they would listen, well, it was the girlfriend. It was the mother of this girlfriend that I, that I had. Thing is, the mom was a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. So one day she said to me, she says, OK, let's pretend you're right. And college is worth this. What have you done with your life for the past four years? I'm 22 at this time. For the past four years, other than, than you know, show up and eat my food. And I was like, burn. And then she threw me out the house. And and I, I cried a man tear, but she was right. <laughs> uh, she was right. I hadn't done anything. So I wanted to show something for my time on this planet. 
I, def- I looked at everything and it was either boxing or it was the military. And I wasn't really feeling the military at that time for, for Iraq reasons. But like, uh, so I went and I found a boxing gym and I started to fight. And I had a good amateur career in fighting and set the tone for a lot of stuff that happened in the rest of my life. And then I also realized that I was that I was drinking and I was I was taking control or trying to like make excuses for a lot of things that happened to me growing up. And I wasn't I wasn't happy. I would blame everybody that I was behind. Not everybody, but but I, I had a real big issue with my mom. And from there, everything stemmed from there, because that's like that's the only person I remember as my caretaker. You know, like my dad was kind of around, but he was like, I, I, I knew guys on the street better than I knew my dad for real. I mean, it's not like he was mm-hmm. absent. He just wasn't a presence. But my mom was a presence. And the more I learned about what you should do to raise kids, the angrier I get, mm. you know, to the point where I stopped talking to her. And and I realized I was using alcohol to to make myself feel comfortable and desired because I, I you know, I, I still have a bit of imposter syndrome. The difference now is that I like can objectively look at things and I, I feel respected too. That's the other thing is that I feel respected, but I didn't feel liked or respected. And I probably wasn't. So I said, I'm going to try and fit in and just be this guy that drinks and it's going to make my life easier. And, and that was my way of connecting with people was through alcohol. I wasn't trying to connect with them through another way. And I didn't know any other way to even make myself feel good. It was drink to celebrate, drink when you feel down. It was always drinking. So so I end up, you know, despite the alcohol problem, because, you know, full-on problem, certainly by, by 2012, full-on problem. I'm living by myself in L.A. And, and I didn't notice this is going to be crazy to a lot of people. But, you know, there's two states, uh, at least there were at that point. There were there, there are two states where you can't just go buy liquor. Uh, you got to go to a state store. We have with the wines and spirits in Pennsylvania, and I don't know what they are in Utah, but where the, the sale of hard liquor is controlled by uh, the government. So I, I remember when... Uh, Chris Rock got this joke where he's talking about you can't, you can't, you know, just take somebody to the hood. You got to like prepare them. It's either Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. I feel bad for getting them confused, but I realize sometimes I'm, I, I mix those bits up that I'm about to say. And uh, he goes, you can't just take somebody to the hood. You got to gotta prepare them because I look out and I see liquor store, gun store, liquor store, liquor store, gun store. And I never got that joke because I grew up in Pennsylvania <laughs> and, the li- and then the liquor stores are just everywhere. I moved to California. It's I, I was like, well, I get it, man. I can go over to Target. It was a Target across the street. I could just buy a bottle of anything. Go to the gas station. I can get 40s. You know, it might be dating myself. I don't know whether they still have 40s anymore. But like uh I could I could acquire alcohol so easily. And it was, I would just get it and just isolate myself and hang out. So I'm still training well. You know, I still I'm one day, man, we had to run through uh Griffith Park and Burbank. And it was it was a six mile run, man, and it was not an easy run. It was up and down because I made the run before completely sober. But one morning I had to make it hungover like no other. And I said, the faster I finish this run, the faster I can sleep this off. And I smoked everyone 
It was freaking <laughs> middle wage and everything. I smoked. I was everywhere. Uh, my point is to say all that. I'm, I'm doing fine fighting, which probably hides a lot of the other issues. But people close to me know because I can hear I can hear whispers. My reputation is tattered because I always get drunk and just show up and make a fool of myself. And and one day I said like, well, well the program ends that I'm in. And I have to move back home. And I got a job at T-Mobile. I'm 27, working at T-Mobile. My buddy lets me stay in a room at his house for $200 a month. That's the most all I can afford. And I'm just like angry. Just, just angry with myself. I feel like I wasted time. Even though I, I got this boxing, you know, boxing is, that's a different thing. You know, that's not like a, a skill set you can apply to a job with. And so... I said, I got to change a lot. I got to do something different. And so I went, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you know, five years is going to pass no matter what, God willing, right? That I'll make it. Am I going to have more options or fewer options in my life? And I just kept that the year 2013, that was the thing in my head. I said, five years is going to pass anyway. 2018 is going to show up one day. Am I going to have more or fewer options? So uh, that year I enlisted in the Army. I go back to start going back to school. And I got sober. My, my, uh, my last day of drinking was December 23rd, 2013. I haven't had a drop since. I, I started a real, a real relationship, um, which to this day is, is I'm so like, like sometimes I look around and like, I'll imagine this place empty and I, and I probably wouldn't even be in this place if, if I didn't have her. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm so happy you're here because like, it, like it feels cold outside and it's just like all these wonderful things. And, and all the, the I, I started making real, you know, deliberate changes. And, and I was just like, no, I can't, I cannot, I can no longer let what happened to me or my life or define me. I can't just, you know, lean on these vices and hope that's going to be cool and hope everything works out. I, I'm like, I'm too smart for this. I have to be deliberate. So I put it all out of the way. And, and really uh, the combination of everything, that that's when the story starts of the, the third life. But as you'll see the, to the lesson, what you read and the, the listeners will hear soon, this only makes sense if now we jump that five-year period between 2013 and 2018. I graduate uh, 2018 with a degree in physics. I, for the first time in my life, first time since I was starting uh, working online and writing, I had my first five-figure month. I, um, I ended up quite on accident stumbling into a, a gig that changed my life, which was tutoring high schoolers in physics and and calculus or physics and math, pretty much. Uh, I fell in love with that. Actually, I ended up doing it longer than I needed to because it, it stopped being about the money. And, and people like respected me. And I'll tell you, man, I, I say it all the time, like, like being liked and being respected is like, it's like, Cubic zirconia diamond. <laughs> it's it's not they like to 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 the uninitiated they look the same, mm-hmm. but when you get close up and put and you test it, then you're like, oh, 
Okay. Or as they say, you know, being liked and being respected look the same to people who aren't used to either. And and I had a real purpose for life. My website was taken off and continues to grow. And all of this is because I, I am convinced all of this is because I decided in 2013 to start making major changes. And like, like my, my life was going one direction and I made like a 90 degree turn and just started going somewhere else. And so, you know, all of that brings to brings the lesson, you know, is that, you know, given enough time, you can learn anything. I always say, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but Hiroshima was wiped out in seconds. That's exactly right. And that was uh, very instructive. And I appreciate you going back to that time in your life and, and kind of sharing that because, you know, we all have our ups and downs, right? And and it's it's never sort of the circumstances, but it's how we respond to those circumstances. And, you know, you were angry at life. I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of the stuff that you've said, but you were angry at life of living that life of mediocrity. And instead of chasing that attention, you realize that chasing respect was going to be a shift that would make a big difference for your future. So you looked in the mirror and you said, look, <laughs> I'm going to stop chasing the low hanging fruit. Right. I mean, that to me, that resonates. It's like, OK, well, maybe. And again, I say this all the time, like my my philosophy is and I, I forget who actually shared this, but it's it's easy choices, hard life, hard choices, and easy life. Exactly. You know, I, I was laughing when you said looked in the mirror. Because that is quite literally what I did one night after after like drinking. Wow. I, I looked in the mirror and said, you are a loser, dude. Like, you got to stop lying to yourself. Did you say it out people. loud? Oh, yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like, because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm crushing the ego that I had been living on and had been surviving on. And I wanted to create this image. And I realized that I was not that guy. I can't say it. I, I wish I came up with what I'm about to say. But I took it from this interview I heard with this guy, Hotep Jesus, and he was talking about his, his particular transformation. And he said that I realized that my lifestyle didn't match my ego. Mm -hmm. My circumstance didn't match my ego. And I said, wow. That sums up exactly how I felt in 2013. Like, I wanted to be this guy. I am this guy. And this guy is not even in the same, not even the same species, pretty much. Like, we gotta, we have to do something. And so I, I did something about it. And it took, it took five years. Like, and, you know, and, and okay. So, so was I like on the path? And could, had measurable successes before them, sure. But when we look at like bookends, markers to look at, no, I, I consider my second birthday, December 23rd, 2013, because I, I enrolled in class. My first day of class was some, some January 2014. And then I graduated May 2018. And, and, and it is night and day difference in every aspect of my life. I don't feel I didn't feel like an adult until my 23rd or the, until uh, my 33rd birthday. I was like, wow, paying my rent in a good relationship. Like nobody can tell me what to do. Whatever I kind of do. <laughs> uh, and like, like I did. That's what I felt like. And, it, and that's what it took. It took put myself through a real rite of passage. I think rite of passages are really important. But but here's the here's the kicker about a rite of passage. 
you can't pick it. Uh, otherwise, it's not a rite of passage. Mm. You know, like I didn't like I I decided to become better, right? But I did not choose the things that made me decide to become better. That's that's definitely not uh, wouldn't have been my choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it just also shows us that in our moments of decision, that's when our destiny is shaped and we get to choose when we're going to make that change. Right. And, and um, no matter what the circumstances are, like you said, we don't get to choose the circumstances, but we do get to ch- choose when we're going to take some control back and we're going to go after sort of what we realize is possible about ourselves. But talk to me about the fourth life that you're now in now. And by the way, I'll mention this, too. I think it's cool that you've described this as four different lives that you've lived because we all can sort of look back and say, you know what, this is what I've learned in this season of my life. And it's not like that's who I have to stay being right. That's one of the things that I feel like separates some of the most successful people, the people that live the most fulfilling lives is that they're grateful for experiences, but they don't have to stay that person. So anyway, tell me about life number four, which you're in now. Life number four is, is great, man. Um, it is, it's the, you know, it's the culmination of all things that started, in my opinion, in 2013. I mean, if you want to be technical about it, uh, 2008, when I, when I walked into a boxing gym, but I had to make it from 2008 to 2013 alive. And sometimes that was difficult, alive or out of prison. So, so if you, if you want to look at everything coming together now in this fourth life, I, I feel like I can do anything. I, I feel like because I went through all of that, that it's just a matter of putting my mind to things. I know that, you know, it, it'll just, it takes as long as it's going to take. No longer, no shorter. Mm. And as long as I focus on the process of what I'm going through, and what I'm trying to create, you know, I was talking about the next book that I'm trying to create, for example, for the show. Uh, I know that I will create something great and I continue to learn things like like not like now I know the game. And that's what's really cool about uh, self-publishing, for example. This this is somewhat somewhat of a tangent. But but after seeing it, the, the, the machine work and having worked with a PR firm as well, I'm like, oh, I get it now. Like, like now I get it because you, you got to know. Otherwise, you just write into the void. It's the same with the website. You know, what I've learned at this point, if I wanted to, I could walk out or walk into any office and go, do you need an, an SEO? And I could tell them what I've done, show them how they can do it, immediately improve their traffic, because I've had to learn and figure out all these things for my website, mm-hmm. you know? It's it's really great now to, to sum up this life that I can take the direction I want to take that I feel like will impact people in the best way. I used to have this insecurity that I wasn't smart enough to make a real difference in the world. And and now I believe that I wasn't smart enough to make a difference in the world in the way I thought I had to make a difference in the world. Hmm. You get this idea like you got to create a new technology or something. No, all you have to do is, for example, we, we, we got to keep people from killing each other. That helps, right? If I can take somebody from the edge of of substance abuse with some of my writings, for example. If I can help somebody see that it does get better if you get better, 
And maybe that guy will create something great. It ain't going to be me. That's not, you know, I, I pushed myself to my intellectual limits, maybe. But, but and, and I'm, I'm being kind of silly here, but my point is that I've, at this position in life, I can figure out the best way to impact that works with my strengths and plays to it. So it allows me to make a real contribution to this planet uh, and to take all of that that I've gone through and help somebody not go through it so that perhaps they get to a point where they can make an impact on society uh, and not be snubbed out or distracted or redirected by something that is going to be a net negative on their life rather than a net positive. And what it makes me think of is that our mind can either be our greatest ally or our greatest enemy. And the lesson is a limitation is only as powerful as the energy you give to it. Your dreams follow the same law. To me, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. So what you're saying is anything is possible as long as you commit your energy towards that and you don't allow this this enemy to sort of fight against you because the enemy is the, the self-talk that says, I can't, I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. Um, I shouldn't do this. I'm not worthy of accomplishing this. And then I self-sabotage subconsciously or even consciously. Would you agree to that? Oh, for sure. You know, I I had a conversation with a friend yesterday and it's amazing. You don't even know the blocks you have sometimes because you get used to operating with it. It's, it's like it's right. like driving with the e-brake on. Everybody, I think, has done that on accident. Mm-hmm. It's like driving with the e-brake on. And all of a sudden, you realize, like, man, the car is dragging. It's not moving quite like how it's used to. But if it's a new car, you're not even going to know. And you take the e-brake off. And your car is moving. Like, oh wow, that's how it's supposed to move. <laughs> that that that's that's like what it's like. And I had a block when it came to uh, designing and a price and package. And I realized I called him up to ask how he was, how he managed to get people to pay him so much. Uh, what his and I was asking about what his process for recruitment was and. And the outline and everything like that. I'm asking a tactical question because I think the answer is tactical, that I'm doing something incorrect. He breaks it down and he gives me a strategic solution. I realized my plan and perspective was the problem. And the problem was I didn't feel like I was worthy of charging that much. So so any tactic would have failed. It, it would be like it'd be like having terrible generals drawing up the battle plan. Doesn't it like doesn't matter how good your sergeants are, how good sharpshooters are, you got them, if you got them fighting the wrong thing or in the wrong way, you're, you'll fail. And so when I when I got that piece of information, I said, Wow, I've, I've been walking around with this block my whole time. And then I'm like, wow, I've been successful in spite of myself. That's that's kind of how you feel when you realize what your your issues are. You're like, wow, I've been doing this despite this. Let's see what I'll do now that it's gone. Mm. You know? Absolutely, man. Um, and that just reminds me as well. I mean, I think about folks who are looking to grow their portfolio as a real estate investor. And yeah, you can apply every tactic, tool, strategy, um, standard operating procedure. But if you don't believe that first of all, that you're worthy of that type of growth, or you don't believe that you can accomplish that next goal, it's all for naught. And so I think that's why for my, for me, it's like, that's why it's like when you unlock that belief, and you start to understand, 
where these saboteurs come from, you start to say, well, you know what, it's not about getting rid of them, but it is about understanding that maybe that's a survival mechanism trying to protect me and I can be grateful for that, but I can also turn down that volume and I can speak in, or I can step into a direction of, hey, you know what, I believe in myself and I believe that I'm worthy of more. And I just think it's very powerful. And I'm I'm glad that your story can help us connect with that in a more deep sense. And I just appreciate that. But Ed, as we continue our discussion, I want to be respectful of your time. But before we kind of move into the rapid fire section of the podcast, (laughs) one of the things that you've talked about, and one of the philosophies that you've integrated into your life is stoicism. And I want to talk to you just briefly about your practical approach to stoicism. And in fact, you call it stoic street smarts, which I think is awesome. But what is that? I mean, what what is what are stoic street smarts and why is it important to you? So so what we were talking earlier about, you know, deciding, for example, uh, how far you're willing to go and then keeping that buffer in the conversation and being aware that you got it, you know, that the, there are some reactions you can have and some reactions you can't have because the reactions uh, you can't have, those are going to be the ones that force you into a place you don't want to be, right? So, but how does one deal with the reactions? Okay. This to me is what stoicism is about. And and perhaps I'm fudging the definition. That's okay because I found a functional way to kind of present the general ideas. Or as as Richard Feynman says, right? uh, We want to create a model that is useful, even if it's a little imprecise, but not so imprecise that we have to radically reinvent new things and, and, and find new solutions when we add to it, all right? So I think that's what this is. It's a useful model. All you have to do, if you want to like sum everything up, is get it, you have to create space between stimulus and response, okay? And it doesn't have to be a huge amount of space, but you need some space because in that little space, it may only be a millisecond but in terms of the difference that it can make in your response and what that response can cause to the rest of your life, the effect it can have, uh, it may as well be an eternity. That's what it's about for me. It's not about controlling my emotions. That technically is impossible, okay? It's about controlling the response I make based on my emotions. Mm. Huge okay? distinction significant. I was having a conversation yesterday and I was trying to explain this idea. Uh, and I was explaining it in the context of, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Cain Velasquez, the former um, UFC heavyweight champ. Well, he, he's probably going to go to jail for a while, right? Because he went and he chased down, and this is horrible, right? He went and chased down the uh, the guy that is on trial for molesting his, his daughter, I think, by relative, shot into the car. It was an 11-mile car chase. Chased him high speed and shot into the car. Didn't even hit the guy. Hit another guy in the passenger seat who I think was his father or something like that. Right? Uh, and I was having this discussion, and, and I'm just – and I was saying to him, look, I can understand how one gets there. Like, like – and I think any anyone who is a parent or someone who went through that right. can understand can understand that rage, right? But it was like people didn't get the other side of the camp. That's like, 
Yeah, but you can't be driving around shooting at people in a high speed chase, no matter what. All right. And 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 I had a I had a, an opinion, but the opinion was simply that I can understand how he gets there. I wasn't, you know, condoning his actions. But imagine the difference that's gonna make. Those actions are gonna reverberate throughout the rest of his life and the lives of his his dependents. If only, and and no one's saying that the feeling isn't justified, but the response has consequences in the reward that you have to deal with. Sure. All right. And we use that as like a big, crazy example. It's recent. It's the one that's in my mind, but we apply that and look at it in the rest of our lives. No one is saying, at least my idea of stoicism is not stop feeling, turning to Mr. Spock kind of deal. No, it's not like that. But you cannot use your feelings as a justification for anything you do in the real world. So tell me, how do you train that? Because you talk about the the you know the space between stimulus and response. You know, it, to me, it's almost like okay, we've got to understand that there is space and not just be the default mechanism of our environment and just act or behave as a child would act or behave without the recognition that there is space between stimulate, you know, stimulus and response. But how do you train that yourself? And how do you further sort of bring yourself to a point where saying, okay, I'm observing this emotion, I'm not living without it, but I'm acting as an adult would or, or someone with maturity? <laughs> I mean, what, what does it what does it look like for you? Well, you have to build multiple areas where you can train at and or rather use every thing in your life as a place to train. For example, uh, little conversations I have around the house during the day um, with people in person, I try to remember to practice my manners. Practicing your manners, even especially when it's hard, that's a great way to train because now you're training yourself to behave in a way that is counterintuitive to how you feel. And that might not seem like much, but that is another way of saying what well, you got in the middle of the space. You know, is it like if I'm at, if I'm at a restaurant and, and the waitress is kind of rude to me, it is not in my best interest, first of all, to just be rude back. But I, I got to fix the problem, whatever the problem is. So that means controlling how I speak and trying to talk her down and just meet, not meeting her energy with crazy energy because, you know, my food might end up with, with, with nonsense in it or something like that. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so, and on top of that, it makes no one's day better, but, but I try to practice that with everyone I talk to a calm control way. And it doesn't matter what the infraction is or what the, what the agitation is. You always take, you take every opportunity to practice having a controlled measured space in between response, a deep breath, uh, in and out. That's one way. Another way, we got the greatest tool in the internet or in the world, the internet uh, for this. I, I like to have conversations on the internet that, that could potentially push me there, but I don't respond that way. I try to respond measured. I try to be calm and cool. I try to understand the person. And that's another thing that really helps is when you develop a sympathy and an or really an empathy for other people, you try to see the person's perspective or point of view. You don't have to agree with it. That's not what I'm saying. 
but trying to trying to see it and trying to grasp it, uh, that makes you calm. That makes you patient as you approach and talk to them. And then as they give you information back, you're better able to absorb it, uh, not through this reactive filter, but through an understanding filter. All of these things come together. It might not seem related, this understanding versus getting in the middle of the, the stimulus response, this uh, forcing me to act one way when I want to act another way. But all of this is training you to have a general demeanor uh, towards emotional disturbances, we'll call them. Yeah, there's there's training opportunities all around us if we look for it. And um, that's very practical what you just shared. I think uh, those are things that we can apply immediately and we can start interact with our, our life and our environment in a different way, which is purposeful. And it's thoughtful in terms of how we can create that stim- that space between stimulus and response and we can make better decisions that you know our future self will thank us for but it actually lends itself i was going through some of the quotes that you've posted on social media one that you posted was when you're ready for improvement everything looks like an opportunity when you're feeling sorry for yourself everything looks like an obstacle and it almost seems like that type of philosophy and mentality puts you in a position to seek out that training seek out hey well what is this perspective that someone else has um would you agree to that or is there anything else that you would add to that oh oh, oh yeah you know like like the story where i was telling you about the car right and and getting to the gym i'm ready to get better i'm committed to getting better to Mm -hmm. me it's just an opportunity right a lot of people would go, ah, it's too dangerous. That's too much. I'm not telling you to go get a $400 car, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. Yes. Uh, or I look at my position in my life when it, around 2013. That was an opportunity for growth for me. It was not an obstacle. And, it, and so and I, interesting. And I wish it was, like, when I look back, it is amazing. It was just one relatively stressful hardship after another, but it eventually got a little easier because it, you know, each time as you, you move up a level, I'll tell you a great story to kind of illustrate this idea of conquering steps, steps sort of when something bad happens, you're in a better place. Uh, 2013, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really will go 14 because I'm, I'm on my way at training for most of that. But 2014, I gotta, I gotta get a job at a bank for, I think it was $11 an hour because there's no money in boxing, all right? I still got to train like a pro because I'm trying to go as far as I can. I got my military drills and now I'm in school full-time and I'm writing on the blog. So that's five things to know all at once. 2014 to 2016-ish, it's rough and I was doing this stuff all the time. Notice what doesn't come up, my social life, my romantic life. Those, I mean, I had them ish, not really a social life, but I lived with my my girl now, fiance, and it was a good time, right? But I'm I'm doing all this, and, and each semester I get a little closer, each fight I get a little better, each make a little more money, especially when I get signed. All things so well, and and before you know it, uh, at the end of 2015, I've got this associate's degree. I got three levels of calculus under my belt. I've, I've got a bunch of physics classes. I can program a computer. I know how to like work on circuits. This is all really cool. Great, right? 2016, September 23rd, I have my television debut. I get knocked out in the first round and I get cut from Rock Nation Sports. They were paying me. All right. So now I got no money. I got no fight prospects. And life is looking 
bad. Like I remember, I remember when I lost that fight, I wasn't like worried about fighting. I wasn't even embarrassed. You know what I was worried about? I was like, okay, I wanted to go back to school because I took the semester off, but but to go back to school, I got to be able to pay my bills and I can't for what I'm in school for, I can't get a job. And I had missed the, the window for internships. So now this is a this is a rough spot, man. But I got all this knowledge now, so I, I go look on the tutor, okay? And I, and I end up tutoring this like at this small little company. And then my coach's wife is an administrator at a pretty well-off house high school. And she's like, well, if he can tutor um, math and physics, we can have him because we don't really need anything else. And I was like, that's all I can tutor. Give me all the work. So I got I got a gig. My first gig was $35 an hour, six hours a week. And that, that, like, that was enough for my living expenses. But I did so well with that kid, kept doing well because I loved communicating and I understood the principles and teaching that by May, I had to turn down work. I raised my I raised my fee to 50 and I still don't have enough time because you really only have 20, 25 hours to work with because it's got to be after school, but not too late. And a lot of kids don't like to give up the weekends anyway. But I had so much business. I was I was pulling in like four, four or five grand all from tutoring a month. And it was a great lesson. And in the lesson, you know, in that position was like, okay, as long as you I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not made those choices during my pro career. And my coach wasn't happy with me that I decided to go to school and join the military during my career. But because I did that, that opened up so many other doors when I needed them. Mm. (laughs) Like, you know, you want to talk about like, oh, you give yourself options, work hard, and you never know uh, what's going to go down. You're trying to change your future. Well, I did that. I created that future because... It was looking rough. I mean, like bad. And I'm I'm happy that I went through that. Well, and again, I'll I'll just reiterate the the thought process. It's when you're ready for an improvement, everything looks like an opportunity. When you're feeling sorry for yourself, everything looks like an obstacle. And to me, it comes down to conditioning the mind um, to be able to feel this way or or really embody that sort of belief. Because in any moment, we have the choice of either saying, look, I, I feel sorry for myself. I'm overwhelmed. I have so much stuff going on. And man, I just got knocked out in the first round of national TV. And man, uh, you know, no more, no more uh, sort of payments or sponsorships or whatever. And life is looking grim or this is now an opportunity, right? And so in any challenge, it's like, what's the gift and what's the hidden gift in this challenge? And what is this giving me for my future? And how is this causing me to improve? But Ed, man, I I just, I'm enjoying this. I really have appreciated our conversation so much today. I want to thank you. I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon, <laughs> man. Uh, you know, this type of philosophy, the street, uh, stoic street smarts. I think it's uh, it's an uncommon philosophy that you are embodying, that you're showing how to practically apply that. But man, I have a few questions for you as a prolific author yourself and writer. I would imagine you're a big reader as well. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Uh, the Art of Learning by Josh Whiteskin immediately comes to mind. 
and I love his story. He's a chess master. I think I, I know he's an international master. I'm not sure if he's a grandmaster, but he's a chess master. He was the subject of the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to do this Chinese push hands thing, uh, which is also like it's like a combat sport. So automatically I felt I feel a little resonance because I, I love chess. I'm not as strong as Josh by, by far, but but I but I'm stronger than probably most people you'll come across. And uh and reading that book and how he talks about perfection and mastery and learning your craft through it, through it in a memoir kind of style following his life. Uh, I love that book so much. Next book, uh, The A Course in Miracles, which if you forget the kind of kooky backstory about it, this woman says that Jesus came and uh, dictated to her word for word and then she over of course like 11 years i think and 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 put it out there if you ignore that and just focus on (laughs) what you have then then you have a book that really helped me learn how to forgive it was a practical Mm. practice for forgiveness so i consider forgiveness a discipline i have a lot of articles on my site about forgiveness because it, it motivated me to take that seriously probably responsible for healing my relationship with my mother because it was a point I wasn't talking to her and I learned to forgive and understand. And then, uh, and it saved some friendships too. So it's just a, a powerful concept. And then lastly, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. I'm actually rereading that right now. And I love that book because what Bruce does is Bruce, ah, man, you want to talk about good writing and, and why is it good writing? Because he poetically explains something but it's not so abstracted to be like useless like he talks about everything from how to learn and what art is and why you need and then why there's a problem with teaching combat as a system and i'm taking my notes again reading his his criticisms on combat as a system and I, re- I was relating it to religion and i'm just like uh so it's a great book it was the last thing he wrote as well, to Tao Ji Kundo. So those three books, Tao Ji Kundo, A Course in Miracles, and The Art of Learning by Josh Waxman. Beautiful. Ed, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Oh, man, I go to the gym, whether I want to or not. I hate it. <laughs> so I, I woke up yesterday, and it's funny, man, because because I I got her and her going to the gym. So, so no one can... Between her and I, one of us drags the other one if we're feeling low. And I made a tweet the other day. I was like, man, I'm tired of having to work out every day and eat well to be healthy. Like This health thing is a scam, bro. Would not recommend. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but no, working out every day, man, that's that's so important because, because I, I've seen what happens when you're not healthy. Yeah, thank like, you. It, it's miserable. But, but if you're healthy, you, you know. You can do all right. It's like, I remember this quote. I think it's like a rich man has uh, a million wishes and, and a sick man has one. Mm-hmm. And that is the power of, of you taking your health seriously. So, yeah, that's what I do. I work out every day. I do something, whether it be take walks, do do go to the boxing gym, lift weights, hit the treadmill for two miles, something. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder, because uh, right after this, I got to get a workout in and I needed some reminder as to why I'm getting that done. So thank you for that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Ed? Oh, man, I never forget I'm dealing with people who have feelings. It's really important. You know, like 
I hate how people talk to one another on the internet because they forget that behind those keys, someone typed them and that's a person like you and me. And so I, I never forget I'm dealing with a person and my, my manners and my patience and, and how I, even in how I respond to criticism, <laughs> you know, because I just look, man, but because to me, I just, I, I, I got too much empathy now at this point in my life. And I don't know where that came from because I mean, I'm still, I'm still kind of like cold. Right. But, but I, but that's when I need to be, but I don't need to be when I'm dealing with people a lot of times. So I, I just try to treat them, treat everybody the way I treat everyone in the best way they I can treat them and no worse. Ed, my man, I want to acknowledge you because uh, your journey and the lives that you've lived are so instructive. The way that you've lived a life of introspection after, you know, I'm sure there's many people wouldn't have criticized you for actually feeling like the victim in the circumstances that you came out of. But I'm so thankful that you didn't. And now that you're really shedding this example for so many other people who, you know what, life is challenging, right? We all have our own battles. We're all fighting our own battles. But you have set an example that is powerful, that's exciting, it's inspiring. Um, and, you know, it kind of it, it gives us a little bit of instruction on how we can deal with our own challenges, how we can take our lives to the next level. So I just really appreciate you, Ed. Um, I could have asked you so many other things in terms of, you know, your prowess with writing. I mean, you are very talented and obviously that has come through a lot of work. So I want to acknowledge you on that as well. But Ed, is there Thank any you. parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you wanted to share with Elevate Nation today? Oh, man, you, you just got to remember that, that seriously, the, the most powerful belief you can have is given enough time, you can learn anything. And I always couple that with this other gem, that the difficulty of a task is irrelevant if it's vital to your success. I think those two ideas combined, they, they make it very hard for you to have a bad time on this planet. The last thing I'll, I'll add to that, just, just to cover the other part of life that is really important to me, uh, don't forget that other people are the, the most important thing uh, on, on this planet. Seriously, if you, if you imagine uh, accomplishing everything, but then you got no one to celebrate with, nobody to care or talk about it with, it's pretty pretty miserable, man. Jada Kiss, the great rapper Jada Kiss said it best, man. I'd rather be broke together than rich alone. Mm. I love that. Ed Lattimore, drop the mic, my friend. Uh, tell the listeners where they can learn more about you and what you do. Oh, man, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm Ed Lattimore everywhere. I'm Ed Lattimore on Twitter, Ed Lattimore Instagram, Ed Lattimore on Facebook. My website is edlattimore.com. Uh, come by, read some essays, check out some tweets. Maybe you'll get me on one of my humor days where I'm talking nonsense. Maybe <laughs> you'll catch me where I'm dropping, you know, where, what I hope is useful information. Uh, either way, though, I, I just try to put value and make the world a better place than how I found it. Or at the very least, not mess anything up. <laughs> no question about it. Ed Lattimore, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Elevate Nation, I hope you enjoyed that really fun and instructive conversation with Ed Lattimore, um, someone who I almost would describe as sort of a modern day philosopher. And of course, he's got a collection of wisdom from his own background and experience, but of course, uh, from his studies and his commitment 
towards that continual and never ending improvement and learning. And this was just a really, really fun conversation. And I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because you listen twice, you're going to learn twice as much. I also want to encourage you to have a discussion with someone else. What was it that you found to be surprising, shocking, instructive, or something that maybe you're questioning from this conversation? I'd love for you to really sit down with someone else. I would encourage you to have a discussion about this. Maybe it's about that stoic street smarts. Maybe it's about that practical approach to stoicism, or maybe some of the lessons that Ed shared from his journey Um, How do those relate to yours? What are some of the lessons that you've learned? uh, And what are the turning points that you've observed in your own life? Maybe that's a way for you to really unpack this episode. And, um, you know, I think reflection and making sort of a plan for how that relates to our vision and how we're going to move forward is a way for us to take this, this wisdom and this insight for what it is. Um, So, What is it from you, from your story that is relevant today? I want to encourage you to identify that. I also want to encourage you, of course, to make a commitment to take action. What's one thing that you can take action on from this episode? Go ahead and use your calendar or make a commitment to, you know, book a class or to, you know, what is it like, like Ed was talking about, he's a phenomenal writer, by the way, you got to go to his website, edlatimore.com. And of course, we'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find him and everywhere across the internet. But you know, he he's showing us that he's still got another level to go in terms of his writing. And uh, what is it? What what skills do you have? Or what things that you're doing in your life that you want to take things to the next level on. Maybe that's an action step. Maybe you want to take a class. Maybe you want to hire a mentor. Maybe you want to enroll in a class or something else, right? What is it for you? Take massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.